So this is Holy Week, has, has been alluded to during worship. This is Palm Sunday. It's, it's a powerful week. And uh, we're going to be wrapping up our series, March to Calvary, on Friday at our Good Friday service. I want to encourage you again, Friday night, 7 o'clock, right in here. It's going to be an awesome time, an intimate time, a reverent time, and a powerful time. If you've never been to one of our fr- uh, Good Friday services, I just want to encourage you, do what you can to be here. Don't make an excuse. Come on Friday night. It's a, it's a great way to begin uh, an amazing weekend. And so we're going to be wrapping up our series on Friday night. We're going to continue on today. And, it, and, 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 and as we do, being Palm Sunday, I'll be honest with you, when we planned this series, I was just thinking, you know, assuming, all right, Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about Palm Sunday. But it, it just wasn't resonating with me. It was going to be a forced sermon that I didn't feel like the Lord was really directing us to. And so we're going to go a different, a different route today. But before we get to the crux of the message this morning, I, I just want to explore one more journey that Jesus took. A few more steps that he took that has been really the, over, the overall theme of this series, and that he is going to find someone specific. Someone who is an outcast, who is a reject, but for this morning, someone who is very much hated. And, and how Jesus reaches out to this person and saves this person. So we're going to look in uh, Luke 19. We're going to start there this morning, and then we're going to kind of shift gears halfway through. But we're going to begin in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn there as we begin. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Oh, was he really though, Luke? A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Can anyone get a witness to that? All my short people, thank you. I feel you. <clears throat> this is the only mention in the Gospels of a chief tax collector. There's, there's mention of tax collectors. Matthew, one of the disciples, was a tax collector. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, right? And, and so we see that phrase, but chief tax collector is reserved for this guy, Zacchaeus, which, which really tells us that he wasn't just hated. He was like really hated. He was the head of the hated because tax collectors, if you don't know, were Jews who taxed the Jews and worked for the Romans. And so they were not just, you know, traitors in a sense, but the way that tax collectors made their money was by overtaxing the Jews and pocketing the difference for themselves. And so the Jews hated tax collectors because they were traitors working for the Romans and they were stealing from their own to make themselves wealthy. And so here we have this guy, Zacchaeus, who is the chief tax collector. And and I, I see this whole thing snowballing because as he was hated by the Jews, he stole more from them. As he stole more from them, they hated him more. And so it was just this snowball, this vicious cycle, this downward spiral, if you will, of his life. And the more wealthy that he got, the more hated that he became and the more miserable that he became. And all of a sudden, he gets word that there's this guy, Jesus, who is passing through. And he's going to do whatever it takes to just see him. I just got to see this guy. I want to see what all the fuss is about. But he couldn't see because there was a crowd. And I just want to stop for a minute and just say, church, listen, how different would this story have been if it had said the crowd noticed that there was this guy, Zacchaeus, desperate to see Jesus, but he couldn't see. So they made a way. Right? They got out of the way and they said, come to the front so you can see. How different would that have been? Next week, 
we are going to have people here in Jesus' name who are desperate to see Jesus, who don't even know what they are about to encounter. Let's not be like these people. Let's get out of the way. Let's offer them our seat in Jesus' name, right? Or I should say the seat that we normally sit in. And get up and say, here, let you have front row seating to Jesus this morning. Amen? Can we, can we just agree this morning to, to take that approach next week as we have many visitors with us here? Because I'm believing for big things. I'm believing for big things. I know you all are too. And we're, we're going to get all, to all of that stuff in just a minute. But he could not see over the crowd. And so verse 4, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I love this because let's, let's, let's just stop and understand something for a moment. Zacchaeus had never met Jesus. And that is very important to understand in Jesus's interaction with Zacchaeus here. Why? Because Jesus calls him by name. Zacchaeus doesn't know Jesus. He's just trying to see him for the first time. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, hey, hey, you up there, come on down. Let me introduce myself. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Zacchaeus, I know you by name, even though you don't know me yet. And I want to say to many of us in here, I want to put some hope in you because there are, Many of us in here that are believing, crying out on our knees to Jesus, praying for people in our lives that we want so desperately to meet Jesus. And I want to tell you all this morning, Jesus already knows them. He already knows their name. Okay? They might not know him yet, but Jesus knows them. He knows them by name. And you need to know that for your own sake. Because I know you cry over them. I know you're hurting over them. And Jesus says, I already know them. I know them by name. And the words that he says to Zacchaeus, he wants to say to them too, I must stay at your house today. How backwards of a thought, right? Jesus, the son of God, right? The son of God who sits at the right hand of the father saying, Zacchaeus, I got to come to your house. Not the other way around. You, you got to come see what I got. No, I got to go to where you're at, chief tax collector, traitor, and thief. I got to come see you. I got to come to your house today. And it says in verse six, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So Zacchaeus just scurries down this tree, right? welcomes him and says, all the people saw this and began to, to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Yeah. Zacchaeus hadn't met the prerequisites yet. Right? He hadn't cleaned up his own life. He hadn't gotten his act together that would warrant an invitation from Jesus. How dare he? He's going to the house of a sinner, a traitor, a thief. He got wealthy over, his, over the Jews, over Jesus' own people. And he's going to his house of everybody here. He goes to that guy's. He doesn't meet the criteria that we think he should for Jesus to have company with him. We got to be real careful with that. We got to be real, real careful with that, y'all. 
Because we can walk that line if, if we don't watch our own heart as well. They don't meet the criteria, so they're not welcome. Jesus disproves that right here. And what we've seen throughout this series is he disproves that over and over and over and over again, every single time. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And I think it was easy for, for Zacchaeus to do this in the moment. I really do. I don't think this was painstaking in any way, shape, or form because Zacchaeus saw what a life of wealth gave him absent of Jesus. And he knew full well that that was not going to bring him happiness. So all of a sudden, salvation, Jesus is there, right there in his house with him. And he says, you can have it. I'm done with that. I've seen what it produces. It had me go up a tree. I don't need that anymore. I have found what is true and what is right. And so I'll give all those other things away. And Jesus said to him, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Here it is, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus didn't just come to save the lost. He came to look for him. He's like, I'm going to go find him. I'm not just passing through Jericho. I know that there's this guy who's dying on the inside. And if I don't get to him soon, he very well could kill himself. He's been so rejected and so hurt. And he's not even who he was. He's not even who he is anymore. I got to go to him. I got to seek him out. I got to seek out the woman at the well. I got to seek out the demon possessed man across the way in the decapolis. I, I got to do all these things. I got to go to them, the rejected the hurt, the forgotten. I'm going to seek them out whatever way it takes and I'm going to save them. And salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house today. Praise God. Praise God. Listen, y'all, I am believing for salvation to come to this house next week in Jesus' name. I met with the elders last week and just kind of laid out all my thoughts and kind of visions and you know, things that the Lord's put on my heart for this place. And at the very top of the list was more salvations and more baptisms. I want to see that, y'all. But it's not just going to be me wanting it and saying it from the stage up here. We have to want it. We have to want it as a church. We have to have eyes to see the people in our lives who are climbing the tree saying, if I could only have a look, if I could only have a glimpse of this Jesus and on the outside, things might look good. Things might look okay. I'm wealthy. I'm okay. But on the inside, I'm dying. And I just need a glimpse of Jesus. Father, give us those eyes to see these people so that this house, this home will be a home of salvation for many. And they can be set free and they can be made whole in Jesus' name. Amen? Come on, y'all. And it being Holy Week, I want to get back to that. You know, I said earlier, we're not going to talk about Palm Sunday today. I believe we, we accomplished that in worship this morning, if I'm being honest. Um, thank you, Jesus. I want, to, I want to talk about Maundy Thursday. And um, it's not something that we've discussed here a lot at Beaches Chapel, but if you're not familiar with that, Maundy Thursday is the Thursday before Easter that, it, that commemorates the Last Supper 
and Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And it's celebrated and, and recognized in a lot of more liturgical churches, but it's, it's something that I want to, to speak on this morning because I think it's very important with what's going on here and what we're called to because a lot of this series has been, has been a ministry to us. But I really believe, I have this burden that this week, our job is to minister to others. And so the, the real title of this message today is Jesus Walks Around a Table. The steps that he took around a table at his last supper. And, and this, whole, this whole Maundy Thursday came, um, it's where we get the word mandate, right? And it's Christ's mandate is, is, is commemorated on Maundy Thursday. It's, it's a shortened form of manditum, which means to command. So as Jesus is... Walking around this table, which we'll get to in a second, he is giving a new command. And this new commandment, he says, is to love one another. Is I have loved you, so you must love one another. That same must that he says to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. I must come to your house today. He's saying, I want you to love one another, that you, you must do it. You're so compelled in your heart that you see these people that need Jesus, that you must invite them. You must love them. He says that they'll know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. This is the new command that I give you. That word command back then, it's kind of a big deal, right? You have the 10 commandments and Jesus is saying, here, I got another one for you. You know those, those were written long ago. You know that whole story. I'm about to lay a brand new one on you. Love one another. How do we do that? It begins in John chapter 13 and verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There's a lot of finality in this story, and especially in these opening verses, Jesus knew that the hour had come. When we, when we hear Jesus talking about the hour, he's usually saying the hour has not yet come, right? When we see him changing, you know, doing the miracle of the water into wine, the hour has not yet come. When they want to anoint him king after he's fed the 5,000, his hour had not yet come. He says this many times, but all of a sudden we find in John 13 that all, the hour has come. The hour has come. And in, do, in saying this, there's this ending of his ministry. There's no more sermons that he's going to preach. No more healing the blind and the lame and the lepers, walking on water. But even more so, if I'm putting myself in Jesus' shoes in this moment, I think he's looking around at his table and these men, these disciples of his, he's saying, my time with you is coming to an end. And how amazing is Jesus that he knows he's going back to heaven and he came from heaven, which is where he belongs. But there is, I believe, a sadness in his heart to know that this, this time on earth with these guys, the, the road trips that they took going from town to town at nights around fires and at dinner tables and eating breakfast and the jokes that they told and the stories they told and all the stuff that they saw, just it was an amazing three years. And can you just imagine how close they were? 
all the inside jokes that they told, right? And all this stuff that only they had. Don't, I mean, we get a glimpse of it in the Gospels, but even John himself says, look, this is, this is just a little bit. This is just a little bit of what happened. And there was so much that was just for them. And it was about to end for Jesus. I believe there was a true sadness, even though, yes, he was going to have to go through an insanely brutal death, but it was going to end with him going to heaven. Like there was excitement there, but there was still sadness in the moment. And it says so, that, and I, I think that's why it says, you know, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He was loving them so hard, even up to the very end. It says, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. This reminds me a lot of our discussion last week on the story of Lazarus. If you remember last week, we were talking at John 11, verse 15. It says that Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So he stayed where he was. The product of Jesus's love for the three of them was for him to stay put, right? And so this week we read that Jesus knew that he had all the authority. He knew who he was. So he got up and he wrapped the towel around his waist. Understanding that he had full authority led him to serve. It was the product of his knowledge of who he was. It, there was no misunderstanding there at all. He knew exactly who he was, the authority that he had, so he got up from the meal. In verse 5, After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. What he is doing here is a big deal. It's very symbolic. Because back in the day, in a house, the lowest position of a slave was to wash people's feet. But here's the thing. It was only Gentile slaves who would actually wash Jews' feet. Like if you were a Jewish slave and you were the lowest one in the house and guests came in, even you weren't expected to wash their feet. They would just wash their own feet. Like, no, it's cool. Like, you don't need to do this. I got it. Now, if you were a Gentile slave, then yes, you would do that. But it goes even further. It goes even further than that. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's actually pointing to the cross. Because the whole thing about crucifixion and dying on the cross was meant for slaves. The, the cross was never intended for the upper class or the middle class. If you were arrested on, on insurrection or anything like that and you were upper, they would deal with you differently. The cross was meant for slaves. It was all about class and hierarchy. And here's the thing. It wasn't just like if you were in a house and you were a group of slaves of like 20 and one of those 20 was arrested with a crime fit for crucifixion, many times it wasn't just that one slave who was crucified. It was all of them, all 20. And so they were always on edge, susceptible to crucifixion. And what's going to happen if this person does this? Oh, you better not do that because if you get caught, then I get caught and then we're all going to die. We're all going to be crucified. So being on that slave level was more than just not having freedoms. It was understanding that at any moment, if someone else did something, you could die on a cross. That's what being a slave meant back in the day. And here Jesus is 
His hour had come. He is announcing to his disciples, I am stepping into that place of slavery to where I am now susceptible to the cross. I am putting myself in the lowest class and I am acknowledging here I am, I can be crucified. It was so much more than just washing the disciples' feet. In Philippians 2, it says, He, meaning Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. He said, I know who I am. I know the authority that I carry. So I'm going to get up from this table. I'm going to wash their feet. Peter's reaction makes more sense when we understand the implication to the cross in this moment. He says in verse 6, he says, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. What he's talking about is the cross. He's saying, you'll get it. And no, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Like, I'm not going to allow you. I'm not, I'm not going to let you do this. Not about my feet, but becoming a slave. I'm not going to let you. You're our rabbi. You're our teacher. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. There is no record anywhere in the history of anything that shows of a rabbi, of a teacher, washing their disciples' feet. None, except for Jesus. And Peter's trying to stop it because he's trying to protect Jesus in this moment. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Notice he doesn't say feet there. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And the washing comes at the cross. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well, like all of it, if that's what this means. Verse 10, Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Though, by the way, y'all, he still washes his feet. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to, this, to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That last little part's pretty interesting, right? You will be blessed. You'll be blessed if you serve those around you. Knowing what you know, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you know that and you know that salvation, Jesus says you will be blessed when you serve all of those around you. We look for blessings all over the place. New cars, new house, new job, new girlfriend, new boyfriend, new clothes, whatever. Lord, just bless me. Right? 
saying, you want to be blessed? Serve other people. Lead them to me. Ain't no blessing like that. And again, I believe that there are many in our lives, many right outside these doors that need Jesus so bad, that are looking for a tree to climb up just to get a glimpse of him. And the Lord is saying, get up out of your seat. Get up out of your seat. Go serve those around you. Because the truth is, y'all, every single one of us was Zacchaeus. Every single one of us was the woman at the well. Every single one of us was that guy chained on the other side that everybody had forgotten until Jesus sought us out. And by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, not by our doing, he rescued us so that we can say salvation has come to this house. Let's not keep it in for ourselves. When would the band come back up? We're going to close this morning in worship. But as we do, I want to challenge every single one of us this week to approach this week differently, this holy week. Approach this week with expectation. Approach this week with prayer. This is our last week of fasting that we began, it seems like, 10 years ago, right? I talked with several people this last week. We've all been saying 40 days is a long time, right? We're discovering that. We have one more week to see it through and to see it through well. Like Jesus loved them to the end. Let's pray harder this week than we have in the last four or five, six weeks prior, right? And let's believe for those that are in our lives that, that are desperate to meet Jesus. Let's believe that they're gonna meet him this week. And it doesn't have to be here, y'all. I don't, I don't care if it's at Beaches Chapel. We're believing for the church to have an explosion next week. We're believing for every, every church in our neighborhood and down the street to be busting at the seams and that a move of God would truly take place and that salvation would come to the homes of so many. That's what it's about. Listen, the truth is, thank you, Jesus. We get to experience as believers, as members of Beaches Chapel, we get to experience Resurrection Sunday every single Sunday. It's, it ain't unique. It's a blessing. It's something that, that we cherish. But you know what? Like it's, it, it can also be something that we take for granted because there's many that don't get to do that. And they're gonna come next week, some out of obligation, getting dragged here. Come on, I got a new dress. I wanna go to church. I gotta come. Some just to check it off the list and do their you know, twice a year duty or whatever. Some because they got an invitation for the very first time. And they're going to be able to experience this Resurrection Sunday. And it's going to be good. God's going to meet them right where they're at. Just like he did with us and those that we've been studying in this series. He's not going to wait for them to meet the prerequisites. Get their act together. He's going to say, I know you by name. And I must I love you. Can y'all agree with me this week 
to raise that level of expectation and to pray hard for those people this week and that we would get up out of our seats knowing what we know and serve those around us. Let's stand and let's just pray. And I, I just want to ask quickly, and I, and I know I know the answer, but I, I want to do this anyway. If there's that in your life, there's, there's a family member or someone maybe that you consider family, a close friend, that you've just been crying out to the Lord. God, they need you. They need you. Can you just lift your hand? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. come before you right now and we stand in the gap for those that so desperately need you. And God, though I can't list any of the names from those that raise their hands representing those people, God, you know every single one of them by name. You know where they're at. You know what they're walking through. You know their hurts. You know how they felt have felt rejected. God, how they felt hated. How they felt forgotten. How the enemy has just said so many lies into their life. And God, we pray this week that you would shut those lies up. And God, that you would meet them right where they are at. And God, that we would remember this week that had it not been for the grace of God, who knows where we would be right now. None of us have earned it, God. So let us give freely. Let us get out of our seats, knowing what we know, and invite, invite, invite. And God, I pray, Jesus, that if the conversation is beyond an invitation, that we wouldn't wait for them to hear about you on Sunday. We would share the gospel right then and there. And Lord, for some of us, that sounds like the most intimidating and scariest proposition ever. What in the world? I wouldn't even know what to say. Well, God, fill our mouths. Fill our mouths with your words. God, we, we raise our level of expectation to see miracles next week that this would be a house where salvation comes. And God, that it wouldn't just pass through, but that you would rest here every single week. Lord, we know that there's so many that need you. Thank you for allowing us to take part in that, allowing us to be a part of the miracle. God, give us divine appointments. God, when we think we're only going to Publix or Target to run a quick errand, Lord, that we would see someone we know. And rather than just shrug it off, we would remember this moment right here. Say, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to invite. Give us courage to do it. Open our eyes, Lord, to see those around us that are hurting and that need you, Lord. Let us not be exclusive with what we know.
God, I just want to pray for every other church that's preparing this week. God, that you would do miracles in all those places as well. At Beach Church, Neptune Baptist, First Baptist, God, Redeemer Church, Lord, 1122, Celebration, Father, Rise Church, Lord, Vineyard, Father. God, there's so many more. God, you know. Bless the leadership in those places, the pastors, the staff. God, we just pray against warfare this week. Lord, that you would protect us. Move, Father. Move, Lord. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. Thank you, Jesus. God, again, just we just cry out one more time for those that we're, we're, we're believing in our own lives. Spouses, children, best friends, God, whoever it is, you know. God, bring them to you. They need you, Lord. They need you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to pray this week. We're going to believe this week for supernatural, miraculous, eternal things. Amen? Amen. <laughs>